Welcome to Make It Kick-Ass, where we help leaders of growing communities bring their people together with purpose and lasting impact. Join us as we explore how to make events engaging, exciting, energizing, and profitable so that you can build a healthy, sustainable community. I'm Isaac Watson, founder and lead strategist at Kick-Ass Conferences. And I'm Nessa Jimenez, operations manager at Kick-Ass Conferences. Now let's make it kick-ass together. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Make It Kick Ass. This is the first episode of season three. And I am, of course, here with Nessa Jimenez. Hi, Nessa. Hi, Isaac. Happy season three. <laughs> I'm so excited. Like, I, the, the whole prep process for this season has just had me floored, chuffed even, uh, <laughs> about how exciting this has all been. So, um, Newsflash, if you haven't been following us on social media, uh, this season we are featuring uh, about a dozen interviews with guests, which is not something that we've done before on the podcast. And these conversations have been fire. So yes. good. So yes. good. Um, very, very excited for you to hear uh, from the various people that we're bringing in, talking about uh, everything from the strategy around why you would even host events, what community is, uh, how to build community. Uh, thinking about the event planning process and even like all the way down to like, what do we do at showtime and how do we make something that's really, really fantastic? Uh, so I cannot wait to introduce our guests to you. But first, we just have to have a like, hey, how are you episode, I think, yes. <laughs> right? Because <Yes. laughs> it's been a hot minute. Um, we've been busy doing our thing, of course. Um, but this episode, we wanted to talk a little bit about what's been going on in the industry, um, some of the things that we're noticing in the event world and specifically in the community building world. And before I turn it over to you, Nessa, I think um, one thing that I will say is that a common theme coming up throughout all these interviews we've been recording and the conversations that we've been having within and outside of our circles is that the events industry, especially the sustainable events industry, is really centered around community building. And that's mm -hmm. going to be something that we are talking about a lot. Um, this was the subject of a session that I just led at Podcast Movement about building, taking an audience and building a community out of it. Um, community is at the core of what we do. And so that's going to be kind of the underlying theme that you can expect throughout all of these episodes. But first, we have some things to talk about. Nessa, why don't you give us the rundown of what we're going to cover today? Yeah, so we're going to talk about a lot of things, but I think they fall <laughs> under four main categories. And that's, that's what we'll be addressing. So first, we're going to talk a little bit about the death of virtual and i put death in quotes because it's like is it really dead we'll we'll get into that uh number two uh forgetting how to people post covid uh, I, that's a big one learning how to come back together after we've been away from each other for so long uh, third, we're going to address corporate budgets and their effects uh, on the event world and what's going on there. And, and mm -hmm. finally, and related, obviously, it's it, it, inflation, which has been a hot topic for everybody and its role in how we put on uh, good events. 
I love it. Let's get into it. All right. Yeah. So let's start with this. The death of virtual. I feel like a lot of people are really excited to like bury virtual events, right? And like <laughs> announcing the death. It's over. It's dead. It's gone. And and um interestingly enough today as we record this there was some big news that came out and i think uh i think we should start there so why don't you why don't you get start with that Isaac? yeah so as, as we all know the pandemic brought about a surge of mm, tech startups in the event technology uh realm and one of the darlings uh maybe darling one of the big turned into one of the big behemoths was hop in yes right yes. uh this was deemed a unicorn because it started up offering virtual event uh platform um they quickly raised i think it was a billion dollars in investment yes. yes uh they scaled massively they were gobbling up a lot of business in 2020 2021 uh and then i believe if the lesson serves me serves my memory correctly uh they went public mm -hmm. and then they went on an acquisition spree yep. um they bought a whole bunch of other event technology companies started folding it all in under their umbrella and they just they ballooned uh into this massive thing well the news today is that hopin has announced the sale of their events and sessions products sessions i think is related to audience engagement they sold those products off to ring central which is a video conferencing platform akin to zoom i believe i've never actually used it um and hopin is not dying per se um they're sticking around with a couple other products that seems focused on live streaming and uh live or rather um virtual uh recording and video hosting um but like what's with this world <laughs> where like out of the blue some new company is formed in 2020 gets a billion dollars worth of investment from some massive firms and then here we are in mid 2023 and they're selling off the the bulk of what made them popular and so financially amazing in the eyes of investors uh right. is and it dead and we're talking about not just the size, but the speed at which these things happen, mm -hmm. like the pandemic, March, and then with fast forward to now, 2023, summer, uh, uh, like what the hell happened? Like that's so quick, so violent, so, such a big, huge thing. And uh, going back to 2020, like jesus hopping really was like the darling that was the name that was like oh maria the big thing that everybody just like the best and the greatest mm -hmm. um personally my job in 2020 involved a lot of testing and demoing a lot of these apps that were coming out just to understand what was out there and figure out how we were gonna pivot our own events uh honestly like i don't want to kick people when they're down but hopin never <laughs> impressed me i never liked it i yeah. it was i did multiple demos with them over time once in 2020 and then later on i think in 2022 yeah i don't get it i don't i do not get the hype i never understood it it mm -hmm. it, it didn't really serve it didn't do 
anything special in my opinion <laughs> so i i and you and i were watching like all this news from the sideline and like are what is it us like why <laughs> so many people are like just in love with hopping and we never used it because it's just never it it was in my opinion it was never uh brilliant in any one aspect you know what i mean yeah. like there's a lot of other uh tools that are like really good at doing one thing and and, and doing it really well i feel like hopping could do a lot of things but none of them very well in my opinion Hopin Hopin was fine. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. And maybe that's why they were so successful is because from a like big corporate purchasing standpoint, fine is valuable mm -hmm. or something. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Um but I I feel like in a lot of ways, uh not to not to draw like Silicon Valley uh analogies here, but I feel like Hopin became the Zoom equivalent in the in the virtual event space. Now I know Zoom tried to do their own events platform too. Um and but they were just they kind of became the standard um mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. online events of of that of a certain kind of scope. And like this is not also not new. This is new for Hopin. They've gone through several rounds of layoffs and were downsizing. They were clearly in trouble. Right. But the industry, there, or rather, not the industry, but the the niche of virtual event platforms as tech companies um, has been struggling for the last eighteen months to two years as they've as the pendulum swung back out of everything's all virtual all the time to um, nobody <laughs> wants to get on another right. video conference. Right. Uh, and so, like last year, I think it was last year, early last year. Um, Socio, which is another event platform that we uh, had used uh, mm -hmm. for uh, some events previously, uh, was acquired by Cisco's WebEx, yes. right? And so, like this, the fact that Ring Central is acquiring the Hopin uh, events platform and product is it tracks. Like, I'm not surprised. Right? Yeah, and this um, is what happens in this world, right? Of like all the apps, the tech, and all the thing, the acquisitions and whatnot, and yeah. uh, you know, and it's just it has to happen because so many apps came out from the pandemic and now yeah the people are either buying them up or they're closing down and bringing this back to uh the whole death of virtual i think people seeing this news come out today that for them will definitely confirm like yeah virtual's dead like oh look at hopping hopping right. was like the big one of course it's dead nobody wants to do it and then seeing looking at the numbers there has been like just a sharp sharp decline in virtual events like this year so far um we we were hearing stats of like there are apps that are having a 90 percent decrease in the events that they're doing since january like like i'm it is a just a cliff honestly right mm -hmm, what we're seeing mm -hmm. um so i understand from that sense what seeing these apps and all these things struggle and they're going away however uh i would make the case for virtual events are not dead they're just returning to the baseline of what it yeah. was before the pandemic and think about it like we all we're all isolated for a year and a half like 
um, uh, as we like what we saw last year, and I think this was indicative of the greater industry was like it was gangbusters for in person again. People were still trying to do hybrid, mm-hmm. um, usually not well, but it was gangbusters for getting back together in person. And I think that at the end of the day, we are we are human meat sacks um, mm-hmm. <laughs> who want to be near other human meat sacks and virtual events just don't cut it. So we're seeing, like you said, this return to a baseline of virtual events. We had virtual events before 2020. Absolutely, We will continue yes. to have virtual events, but people are really reconciling what time they're willing to commit to staring at their screen for yet another hour or day or two days to be able to consume content and mm-hmm. participate in an online chat. Right. Um, and I think that that that's a good ending point for this one. And, and let's move on to the next point where I want to talk about how we've all forgotten how to people <laughs> because of COVID. Um, and this coming back to in-person, coming back to socializing in the ways that we couldn't because of the pandemic um looking at the trends and the patterns there because what's going on right now is wild (laughs) it's wild so i'll start with we're seeing just like the maximum awkwardness in in every sense of the way of like people going to networking events, not knowing how to talk to people, not knowing how to network, not knowing how to reach out to anybody. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, people going to events and not knowing how to engage, needing like an extra push, almost like, you know, middle school kids getting pushed by the teacher at the dance. Right. Like go dance. You know? <laughs> right. Um, just it, so yeah, let's talk about that a little bit. What what has been your personal experience with that? I mean, I I so the the first in person event that I went to uh, was uh, it was a questionable time to do so. I will admit that it was in August of twenty twenty one. I attended a conference in Nashville, Tennessee, uh, and this was just when the the red states <laughs> were starting to drop uh, their COVID restrictions, their masking restrictions, and whatnot. And um, it was it was awkward. Like I'm mm-hmm. being a, a physical person <laughs> in a space with other people when we've been hammered into our heads to keep six feet apart, and you know every every person around us is potentially infectious like that's a that's a massive psychological toll to deal with um and it was it was really weird i ended up um uh you know i, I would attend sessions and that was it right there mm-hmm. there was not a, i think i went to a party one night but it was just like listen to the dj and and it was too loud to talk because, you know, we all talked so quietly in, in 2021 because we forgot how to project. Right. Um, so I think a lot of people, I mean, that was, that was my own experience and that was fairly early into the opening up phase. Um, but even to this day, like, um, someone was just telling me about a, um, a, a group of friends or, or business friends who had met each other online who were taking a trip. A lot of them, it was their first trip since March of 2020. Right. Mm -hmm. People are still encountering this where they're just they haven't traveled yet. They haven't um, they haven't uh, completed the cycle back to 
kind of their typical life practice. I don't want to say return to normal because that, um, yeah, that that's is quite not, right. But yeah. um, the, the, it, it's this kind of more careful and considered approach to what we're doing. I think from a social relationship standpoint, um, you know, so much of whether we were like, diving in, into Instagram or connecting with people on Twitter or in work chats or like, like, you know, Slack or teams or whatnot, like the pandemic cemented this asynchronous way of communicating. Right. And then suddenly I'm like in front of, we're in front of people and we're expected to hold a live synchronous conversation with them right. that isn't meeting oriented. Right. Because that, that was our only synchronous time was either on the phone with loved ones or in <laughs> meetings where we didn't really want to be there. We all had Zoom fatigue. Yeah, it was just and, work. Yeah. <laughs> right. It was just work. And so just relearning how to like when when is it OK for me to interrupt people? When You know, like how do I right. can I think on my feet still? <laughs> right. Like right. these are all things that are still at play and how quickly we forget. And I think that this what we're talking about that's that's the nice side like this is the nice problem to have where it's like oh mm -hmm. we're awkward and this is so funny and you kind of have a laugh about it but going to the more extreme side the darker mm. side of this we are seeing a, an increase in outbursts and violence and like mm -hmm. just uh, just awful behavior from people that oh, you, we were not seeing uh, before uh, uh, the the pandemic like yeah let's talk about just people not knowing how to act on planes uh the yeah. fact that there's like a, a huge increase in like these outbursts and people fighting and people getting hammered and and you know they gotta call the cops they gotta divert the 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 flight um uh like talk about an effect on the event industry if mm -hmm. i have to think about is it worth right like the drama of like i'm gonna get on a plane and somebody's just gonna lose their mind is it worth <laughs> traveling to this event yeah. right like that's a and, huge uh a factor there i think and I'm a, i don't know if this is a uniquely american or north american cultural trait um but i see this manifesting in other areas too and I, it it may have to do with the increased politicization of mm -hmm. our society and this kind of combative nature but like you know just in the past six months i'll be driving around town and the way people drive oh yes like i don't know if you've noticed this as well but like i like yeah. it's like they're in the fast and franchise movies right like yeah <laughs> like you you know like i saw we're driving down the freeway the other day and i saw a person in a car that was kind of swerving all over the place, driving really slowly on the freeway in mm -hmm. the right lane. And we pass and they, they've just got their phone right there in front of their face mm -hmm. and like head directly in it. And it's just like doing this. I'm like, what's going on? When did, when did this become okay? Yeah. 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 And then, uh, concerts this whole thing with with people throwing phones and and things yeah. at the and like knocking people the f out on stage that that yeah, never like, happened what? before like and all of a sudden like in these this past couple months it, it's happened like every week right that that's yeah. another sign of like these social 
rules, the understood, like unspoken rules, all of a sudden mm-hmm, everybody's mm-hmm. forgotten them and we're struggling to get back to a place where people know how to behave. Um, and, and that, that has an effect on events because mm-hmm. it is requiring us as event producers to have to put a lot of thought into that, right? Like, Number one, code of conduct, um, if it is more likely that we're going to have issues, right? Making mm-hmm. sure that those codes of conduct are strong and we're we're prepared to to address, like, just this wildness that's happening. Um, and then having a more active, intentional um, attention to helping people interact, helping people you know, have a good time at our events and, and knowing what to do and how to, how to people again. Yeah. It, it, um, it puts a lot more work on the organizers to create something is that is beneficial for the most people. And I think that when you, if, if I were to bring this back to community building, mm-hmm. um, when you've made the efforts to cultivate a good community of people that is, looking out for each other's best interests, that is contributing, that is there supporting each other, the chances of you encountering this are going to be a hell of a lot lower mm-hmm. than if you're just pulling some mass audience together for a sales event. Um, but I think that where it does still affect you is in people's decision to actually attend. If they're being fa- – like we all see this kind of stuff going on. Mm-hmm. Like you said, if they're, if they're thinking about like the – challenges of flying or um getting to a place safely they're gonna think twice and that can damage our our audiences that can damage the experiences that the community is having and and that needs to change right so i think that one is pretty clear although why aren't more people talking about this like let's be honest i feel like you and i are the only people that that are thinking like yeah this affects us (laughs) like all this wildness uh so i'm glad we we got to chat about it but next on my list is corporate budgets corporate life the corporate like you know teams and budget cuts and all these layoffs that we're seeing and all this economic things that are going around you know the 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 to be honest Mm -hmm. of, of, of the corporate world and how they play games with people and how that ultimately also affects how what we do and how people connect and it changes, like thinking of the calculus of people attending events, that changes the way that people evaluate buying a mm-hmm. ticket. So like, say you have a, a independently organized conference on web development, for example, right? So this is supposed to attract people working across all kinds of different uh, companies who are working in web development, who are trying to improve their skills, learn from the latest and greatest best practices, take that back to their teams and improve their uh, their work as a result. Uh, if they don't have a learning and development budget anymore, they then need to decide if it's worth a $500 ticket, for example, right? right? Plus a you know, if their work isn't approving the this travel because it's not technically work-related or it's considered non-essential, mm-hmm. then you've got a plane ticket and hotel costs. And then is that on work on the work clock or are you taking PTO for it? 
can you be away from your family for that long? Do you need to make other arrangements if you have, you know, small kids, for example? Um, like all of this goes into that formula of is this worth it to me? Um, or should I just take uh, an online course that'll help me develop a specific skill that's a lot cheaper? Mm -hmm. And that can, so from an independent event standpoint, that can dramatically affect your attendee base because the the funding to send people there and the time equation is just not working out in your favor. And we saw that last year uh, with one client in particular where the in-person uh, attendee group was puny com in comparison to pre-COVID right. years. And, and it just comes back to if last year my company was going to pay my ticket and give me like a stipend to go and this year they're not giving me anything. Yeah. Like that. Yes. Becomes much, much harder <laughs> in that, in that context. Mm -hmm. And I think as event producers that puts us in a position of, I think generally speaking, it's not a good idea to depend on most of your revenue coming from the fact that companies are paying people to go right like that's just not smart mm -hmm. because as we see at any moment in time the company doesn't care about development anymore right and doesn't care about these things yeah. um but we also need to then look at this event and and really make it worth it for people like what is it gonna make this event worth it for someone to pay it out of pocket when they used to have their company pay for them yeah and if you don't want to rely so heavily on tickets ticket sales uh, or need to drop your ticket price to compensate for this decision making process can you actually rebalance that through sponsorships or other ways of supporting the revenue for the event, uh, especially when you don't know how many people are going to actually attend. It's a it is a dicey right. thing to to be working with from a budget standpoint, uh, because if you want more sponsorships, then you need to deliver more to the sponsors. And so it it's makes right. it really challenging. But also because of the whole thing that's going on with corporate budgets, sponsorship budgets have been slashed, if not eliminated yes. completely. You have companies that Last year they were spending ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars at each event, and this year they're only doing one, and there it might be five k what they're giving. You know, like like mm -hmm. this year we're seeing mm -hmm. a, a huge drop in what companies are willing to sponsor because they don't have the budgets for it, and that again, that's a huge hit to our budgets as event producers because like. Huh, yeah. It hurts. <laughs> it hurts. Yeah, it's um, you know typically, uh, especially in in the tech space, a sponsor will come in uh, with one of three priorities. One is recruitment. Another is sales, whether that's enterprise or or individual. Uh, and the third is uh, thought leadership and and kind of status mm -hmm. elevation, brand awareness, general stuff. Well, the brand awareness and the sales, so many companies, especially with how easy it has become to produce a virtual event, they're like, oh, well, we'll just do our yes, own. Yes, yes, we'll, we'll keep it internal. Right? We would rather invest our marketing dollars into something that we right. can control rather than sponsor another event to get a little piece of that pie. Uh, and on the recruiting front, you know, there's been so many layoffs, so many, 
um, reorganizations, uh, so much shrinking and reorganization of companies that they're not actively recruiting in the same way, and they're not willing to invest as much money in the recruitment process, especially because you have so many people who have been laid off who are actively looking for work. And so the the, the pool of potential candidates is a lot hungrier and a lot um, more likely to seek out these roles than, uh, so it re reduces the, the imperative to actively recruit for that kind of stuff. So that it changes, again, changes the calculus on how sponsors are, are deciding to invest, if they are at all, in event mm -hmm. sponsorships. And moving on to our final point for today's episode, related to corporate budgets, sort of, um, it's inflation, which has a, it hits everybody. Um, and I really wanted to talk about how inflation is affecting our ability as event producers to put on a good show, specifically to bring people the same, if not better quality, um, when mm -hmm. costs are so much higher than they were even i'd even say like last year yeah um the it has been i mean shocking to say the least to see how costs have changed i think um this is the principal reason why you know we we were talking about virtual being dead question mark i could will pretty squarely tell you that hybrid is mm -hmm. dead um, I, I think that as a as an event format, people just cannot afford anymore. It is too damned expensive and takes too much work to put on a high quality hybrid event unless you have gobs of money you want to throw at the uh, and resources from a team standpoint to throw at the at the solution or at the problem. Um, the the we see this in food costs, labor costs. Uh, we see this through, uh, I mean, you have to think about it this way. I was talking about this with somebody recently. Um, the entire hospitality industry was frozen for a year and a half mm -hmm. or so. And economic stimulus aside, there's a massive amount of money that they lost and business that they are trying to mm -hmm. rebuild. And one of the ways that they are rebuilding that business and regaining those uh, that revenue is by increasing their costs to produce these things, whether that's in room you know room rates or AV costs or um, even, you know, service charges on food and beverage, uh, administrative charges, like this, the costs are just skyrocketing and it's starting, I, I wouldn't say it's out of control, but it is teetering toward and that. And not just that things cost more, but, but I will talk about the hospitality industry, the quality that we're getting from mm. them is abysmal. Like the, the the decrease in the quality of the work, of the attention to detail, all of that stuff is also, you know, part of the cost, right? So like I'm paying more and the quality of the service is much less and, and like you're our contract said something and then we have people show up and it's a whole other thing. I, a, a couple months ago right. there was a, there was a, it was like a comic con, um, they've they had the event planned and when they got there 
they the what the hotel did was they put the artist alley in a completely separate building from where the convention was going because the hotel had given that space they double booked it they gave that space to somebody else uh, um and that's happening a lot as well and that is such a crappy thing to do and it really destroyed we, the income for the artists at the artist alley because it was a whole separate building nobody went and it, it was a yeah, disaster yeah it we had a similar experience last year where a uh we had booked the rooms for the general session for this conference and typically and by typically i mean i guess pre-covid uh we that means you get it right. all day right right and they don't book anything else and so we got to the point where we're like oh well let's just flip the room and have the closing reception in the main ballroom space, come to find out, nope, they they <laughs> they had sold the evening to another event, mm -hmm. a dinner, which required a full room reset, and they were giving us a total of I I think it was ninety minutes. I, yeah, to I, I was going to say I think it was like maybe two. And hours, we yeah. we squoze two hours. We begged and pleaded yeah. for them to give us two hours. Or no, no, we ended early so that we would have two hours. That's what it was. We trimmed the program so by 30 minutes time. so that right. we could have two hours. And through a Herculean effort <laughs> with all hands yeah. on deck, we struck that set and that room. And we managed to do it within that time frame. But like, yeah, what? Not cool. How? Not cool. <laughs> not... And also, like, thanks right. for telling us. Right. Right. <laughs> no, it, it, and that's just a couple examples of how, how the quality of what we're getting is just so much worse. We're paying way more for it. We're having mm -hmm. to invest a lot more because for that that particular event, we were lucky because we had wonderful volunteers that showed up and helped us like throughout mm -hmm. that whole mm -hmm. mess. Like I'm still impressed that we we, we did it honestly. Um, but what does that mean then? What what does this mean for us going forward? Because inflation will, it'll balance itself out eventually. But uh, the, the way capitalism works, once people raise prices, it's really hard for them to come back down. That's just the reality. So what does this mean now going forward for people putting on events? I think that there are two things that come to mind. One is that events will trend smaller and more intimate because mm -hmm. that's going to speak to the more personal connections that we want to make with people while we're there. We don't want to be in a sea of, uh, you know, a mass of people that we're just never going to meet. Um, and I think that uh, the other piece is that the, I think we're going to see a trend, especially from an independently organized event standpoint, which is where we work a lot of the times, uh, toward using independent venues, not hotel mm -hmm. properties, which breaks us out of the forced pricing and the food and beverage minimums. And, you know, often at independent venues, you have either your choice of caterers or you choose from a list of potential of approved caterers. And so you can find something within your budget. Um, you are not subject to, you know, the, the house AV company that's, that's, um, you know, price gouging on 
their services and it gives you a lot more freedom to do things like bring in food trucks and, mm -hmm. you know, pay a couple grand in, in minimums for the food trucks to have them on site and give a better experience to the attendees because at the end of the day, they're going to get better food for it. Um, I think there's just it opens the door for a lot more creativity and a lot more uh, planning that will lead to more interesting, more creative, more uh, unique experiences around the events that we're creating. Mm -hmm. I said like creative <laughs> three times in three different food, ways in that sense. Like food costs, man, that that hurts. I think we're also seeing a lot a lot of people just rethinking like, can we feed these people? <laughs> <laughs> right. It sucks, but and and where where do you draw the line between here's a here's a Costco snack pack of mm -hmm. Smart Pop um, for versus a tray mm -hmm. of cookies or something from a local vendor, um, and yeah, I I think coupled with that with the smaller more intimate events, I think we might start seeing uh, kind of. Events on tour. Interesting. What, what do you mean by that? Right. So instead of so instead of like having a single conference in one location where several hundred people come or a thousand people or fifteen hundred people come to gather, you start seeing smaller distributed mm, events. Like right. So you know the host organization kind of like pop ups. So they go on tour and they do like oh we're going to do the. Portland version of our meet uh, of our like one day conference, right. right? For the people that are in this region. And then we're going to pop over here to Chicago and we're going to do one for the Midwest. And then we're going to go down here to the South and we're going to go to Atlanta. Right. And so you, it, you start finding ways to make the travel and the expense of attending these things more palatable right. for the individual. Um, and honestly, that um, that's going to give you better relationships with the people who are attending because you have more chance of meeting them on their own ground um, of, you know, fewer people to try and make connections with in a short span of time. And it allows you to kind of curate an experience specific to yeah. a location. I don't see smaller events as a bad thing. I think smaller events lend itself to higher quality connections and a higher quality experience, right? I think mm -hmm. we're going to yeah. see there's going to be a gap right the the big huge events that have existed for a while i think they will continue because th those are just mega corporations with huge budgets like amazon does the, these huge things um things like san diego comic-con that's not going anywhere right like that that we're, we're still going to see right. those huge events but we're also going to see a lot more smaller events I, I think it's that that awkward middle ground of like a thousand to ten thousand people i think that is what's disappearing i think i think the the core takeaway for me is that the economy of mm -hmm. scale ch has changed um there's a there's a different, there's kind of a limit to where we can actually create something that is unique and meets people's goals um, based on the budget that we have available to us. And so that that changes how many days we program, where we hold things, how we're structuring the event, um, where we're sourcing revenue, all of that all of that changed. I think before it used to be that like, oh, well, the bigger the event, the greater the economy of scale. But yeah, 
All right. Well, we've said a lot of things this episode. <laughs> we had a great conversation, but I think now we kind of have to bring it all together. Um, final thoughts. I'd like to focus on what now? Right. We've talked about all this stuff. Now what? <laughs> well, we have the benefit of having already recorded maybe a third or, or close to a half of our, of our interviews. Um, one of the standouts for me, and we'll get into this with uh, the first interview with Tara McMullen and then with subsequent interviews, is thinking about how events can be more human. I think that is the biggest thing for me. It's the biggest focus for us in our work. I mean, it always has been, but I, I think being able to articulate it as such is a new thing for us. And I think it when when we seek to gather people together, we have to remember that first and foremost, they're human beings. They have needs and goals and wishes and hopes and dreams and fears and anxieties. And it is our job as producers and the client's job as an organizer, as a host, to be sensitive to those and to craft something that is intentional, that is uh, meeting needs and goals that is meeting them where they are, that is helping them come together and create better connections and to learn new things from the people around them. If we can focus on that, if we can make that our priority, whatever inflation be damned, uh, corporate budgets be damned, we'll be able to create something that's useful. It doesn't have to be flashy. It doesn't have to be uh, high budget or um, you know, this massive production, you can create these great experiences with very little. And as long as you keep those, those human beings in mind and create something for them, then you're off to a great start. Thanks for listening to this episode of Make It Kick-Ass. We hope you found it entertaining and helpful. If hosting a community event is on your radar, visit GetEventLab.com to take our free 30-minute training called Community Event Mastery. That's GetEventLab.com or use the link in the show notes. Make It Kick-Ass is hosted by Isaac Watson and Nessa Jimenez. Post-production audio by Chris Nelson at Mittens Media. Our theme song is Feel It by Dojo for Crooks. Make It Kick-Ass is a production of Kick-Ass Conferences, an event strategy and design agency serving leaders of growing communities. Mm -hmm.